0: On this episode, it's the second annual Prospects episode, a look at some of the top Cup Series prospects across the racing spectrum, and why youth sometimes beats experience. And of course, we look ahead to Atlanta to see if we can keep our string of contrarian contender picks going. We'll see what we can do. But as always, this is episode 52 of Positive Regression. This is the Jimmy Means Edition. David Jimmy Means, a memorable driver, car owner, uh, paint scheme <laughs> number fifty-two. Uh, I certainly didn't grow up in the the Jimmy Means era, right, David? Neither did you. But I look at him as something of a. If I'm trying to make a modern day comparison, maybe maybe a Jordan Anderson type, you know, the type of is that fair? Blue collar, small team guy trying to make the most of what he has. Uh, I certainly had one of his Alka Seltzer diecast. You know, what do you think? What should we think of when we think of Jimmy Means, David?
1: Uh, I too had that racing champions diecast. Uh, Jordan Anderson is actually a good comparison. Um, and, and maybe not to, to slander Mr. Means, but I think Jordan is a little bit more accomplished. But, uh, look, let's, let's look at the numbers here. Jimmy Means made 455 starts in the NASCAR Cup Series. 446 of them were driving the number 52 car that he owned. Uh, zero wins. Zero top five finishes, yeah. but when you run an underfunded cup team for yourself for 15 plus years, I, that's kind of the thing that is going to happen. He, he came up uh, in the, the late, it was the, the he was in the eighties, um, finished in the early nineties. And that was when the cup series was becoming really, uh, competitive. I did some research. His two best tracks via average finish, were the old Nashville Fairgrounds and Martinsville Speedway. Both where he averaged a 17th place finish. Those were the only places where he averaged a finish better than 20th. And, true fact, he didn't lead a single lap at any race at those two tracks. Now, here's interesting stuff. From 1981 to 1986, he was running at the finish of 12 straight Martinsville races, finishes of 15th or better in all but one. That's pretty solid. That was the high attrition era of NASCAR as well, uh, and he made it through Martinsville unscathed. Nowadays, fans will know him as a NASCAR Xfinity team owner of the number 52 car. Uh, This year, to be driven in 20 races by a 19-year-old Cody Vanderwall who ranks 44th on this year's top 50 prospects list, who I'll be honest, I was kind of surprised. This press release slipped through the cracks for me. And when I saw Cody's name on the entry list, I was like, oh, that's that's wonderful. First of all, all the work that I did on Cody last year has not gone for naught. I did <laughs> not know what he was doing. Um, but it's good. Jimmy um, putting a young driver in his car, trying to make something happen. Again, an under-budget team, adjust your expectations accordingly. But he keeps showing up and he keeps participating. They're buying tires. They are trying to do things the best that they can do them. And that, uh, that is admirable. And boy, the powder blue '52, it did make for a great diecast.
0: Oh, absolutely! And that, maybe that's why we remember him so much. Obviously, not the, the success or the stats that he had, but look, Jimmy Means stands out, and and partly because he is still around in the sport. A couple of years ago, David, one of our ride to works was with Joey Gase, um, for NASCAR on Fox on Race Hub. and we went all the way up to Forest City, North Carolina, which is pretty far from uh from Charlotte. So it was a uh, you know a good hour and a half, hour forty five in the car with Joey. We got a good conversation, but we went to Jimmy means racing. And look, if you've ever had the privilege of being here in Charlotte and seeing like a team Hendrick or a Team Penske. It is uh it is the complete opposite of that. And and as, you know, as we've has how we've described him, as um look, it, it is a series of barns. You know, this is what I remember seeing. It you know, just filled with old parts and old cars and uh a small crew just doing as much as they can to piece parts of old cars together and make stuff as best as it can to get to the racetrack each week. Remember a few years ago they had I think with like the top 5 in the Xfinity race in Talladega and that was just a feel good story to tell. And uh so yeah Jimmy Means after all these years still a part of uh, the sport and still uh, still you know we're young guys David relatively and we still remember Jimmy Means. So uh episode 52 of Positive Regression dedicated to Jimmy Means and his great paint scheme. David you mentioned one of uh Jimmy Means racing uh drivers this year will be from your prospect list and David, your list is out. The top 50 cup series prospects for 2020 is now published by David Smith. Uh, something we look forward to every year. One of our most popular episodes of positive regression last year. Uh, David, let's just start at the top. When, when we're reading this list, when we're, we're going to get into it on this episode, but when we're hearing these names, so how should we? Interpret this list. Is this the, the 50 most talented drivers right now? Is this, if I'm a, you know, a cup series owner, are these the drivers that I want for, you know, the next 15, 20 years? How do you approach this when you make a list of the top 50 cup series prospects?
1: All good questions. And I do have a, a methodology for this. Uh, my goal with this prospects list is to identify the drivers I would most want uh, as my driver, 10 years from now. And I've seen this in other places in baseball, basketball, uh, referred to as trade value, which that makes sense, but it ultimately boils down to the same thing. Would I rather have 10 years of driver A or driver B? And whomever I want the most gets the advantage in this year's rankings. And to make those decisions, as you would expect, I'm relying on uh, data analysis and some traditional scouting. I was a scout for 13 years for three different agencies, and I value what is quantifiable over what is perceived. There are drivers uh, ranked in the bottom half of this list who appear more talented uh, than some ranked inside the top half, those those drivers that really um, pop hot on the eye test, so to speak. But some have may have uh, never turned the wheel of a full bodied stock car. So think of this, Al. Think of each series in the NASCAR development pipeline as a hurdle. Which ones have they cleared? And not only that, how well and how quickly did they clear them? I I don't have a crystal ball. I, I, I'm I, I don't know everything. I, I'm I'm trying to prognosticate, but it's very difficult to tell the future. So it's this line of thinking that helps me piece together the most likely trajectories when I'm absent of objective answers. I I can't assume anything. So I'm just trying to make sense of the puzzle before me, and that's what you're going to see here with this list of 50 drivers.
0: So, David, the top Cup Series prospect on this year's list in 2020 is... Chandler Smith, number one, uh, not not a stranger to this podcast. Our discussions of him, Chandler Smith, number one. Congratulations to you, young man. Number two, Sam Mayer, another young up and coming driver. Number three, Chase Briscoe, and number four, Austin Sindrick. Now, David, when I saw this list, uh, uh, immediate question popped up, uh, and listeners are probably having the same question right now. We have Chandler Smith and Sam Mayer, two teenagers. Above, guys like Chase Briscoe and Austin Sindrick, two drivers who are established, proven winners on multiple levels, and with big teams that seem like they have a a pipeline to the Cup Series. So why do we have Chandler Smith and Sam Mayer over proven winners like Chase Briscoe and Austin Sindrick?
1: Well, I'm, I'm curious what drew you to this question in the first place. So I want to flip this around on you. Of those four, if going by my methodology, who are you taking?
0: That's a great question. I
1: mean, well, and that, that's why it was good to learn more about the
0: methodology, but that's what I wanted to see because you would think that a guy like Chase Briscoe or even Austin Sindrick are more, I'll use the term cup ready, right? I mean, they're more seasoned, that they're more, they're more in the now. But when you look 10 years out, I could see potentially a driver like Chandler Smith based on potential. Not everyone knows Chandler Smith or the the prospects of Sam Mayer. So maybe that's why I got to ask you a few more questions, because I feel like I know more about Chase Briscoe and Austin Sindrick and their potential than I do say a Chandler Smith or Sam Mayer. So educate us, sir.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I, and, and I'm glad you answered it that way, because the folks that, you know, sit down on their couch every weekend and watch racing at home, they're familiar with Chase Briscoe and Austin Sindrick If they watch the Xfinity series, they might not be familiar with Chandler Smith and Sam Mayer, but they should be. Uh, what Chandler Smith does well and what makes him deserving a number one on this list is that he does everything absolutely well. In 2018, he ranked first in ARCA Peer. In 2019, he improved his peer but ranked second. He earned seven wins through 20 starts in ARCA in those two years. In 11 of those starts. He led more than 50 laps, all while being, for the majority of those races, the youngest driver in the field. Now, also last year, he made his Truck Series debut. We have discussed this. In a four-race sample size, he ranked second in production and equal equipment rating. Kyle Busch ranked first. Chandler ranked second in non-preferred groove restart retention rate. Kyle Busch ranked first. Chandler ranked first in preferred groove restarts and third after Kyle Bush and John Hunter Nemechek in surplus passing value. And all during this time, he was ineligible too young to compete for the series championship. As for Sam Mayer, what he did well last year in what is now the ARCA East was produce results better than any RK East driver that came before him in the last decade. Wow. His peer last year was better than some of the greats of this division. Kyle Larson, William Byron, Daniel Suarez, Ben Rhodes, Harrison Burton, Corey LaJoy, Matt De Benedetto, the, the the guys that put this series and this division on the map. Sam came out and, and performed better, and he did so as a 16-year-old. He, he has a good car. He's with GMS Racing. Yes, he has maybe the most successful crew chief in recent series history in Marty Lindley, but speed doesn't keep anyone from seeing how smart he drives. Allen, he didn't crash at all in 2019 in that division. In his first two races uh, this year in Arca East and Arca West, uh, he won both races in wildly different fashions. I was at New Smyrna and uh and and watched his win there he was pinched toward the wall on the opening restart sort of a racing incident but could have been avoidable had he forced the issue uh but that knocked him from a starting spot of 6th to 10th in a single corner and from there he picked off positions uh cycled out on a uh, uh, some spots on a stop picked up more spots then inherited the lead when the leader pitted and it was all just part of a methodical plan. Uh, that leader was Derek Griffith. He's on this list, ranked 41st. Uh, and when Griffith was charging on fresh tires late in the race, Sam Mayer did not block. He just held his line. He dictated the outcome of the race by forcing Griffith to do something drastic, and that something drastic never came. It was actually a pretty heady win for Sam Mayer. Uh, and at the Las Vegas Bullring... Easy stuff here. Mayor started on the pole. He didn't lead every lap. Uh, yeah. Jesse Love, a Toyota prospect from California, was really the only other driver in this race who had anything for Sam Mayor. Uh, but Mayor le- uh, or but Love read, led uh, twelve laps. Mayor led one hundred thirty-eight, including the last one. He was challenged a little bit, but all in, it was an ass kicking. So <laughs> one 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 race win where he he had to come from behind and be smart, and the other he just had to go out and stomp the field. He can do both. Ironically, both Chandler Smith and Sam Mayer were born on June 26th, one year apart. <laughs> 2002 for Smith, 2003 for Mayer. Jeez. But what that, <laughs> what, that, what that means, in addition to them being very young, they were born in a month, smack in the middle of racing season, making full season runs at championships difficult. Right now... They are stuck doing what they are doing until they turn 18. Uh, The soonest we'll see Chandler Smith compete for a championship, which I'm not sure he's ever actually done, is 2021. And for Sam Mayer, it'll be 2022. Now, for guys like Briscoe and uh, Sendrick, they ran ARCA. They were in ARCA at the same time in 2016. They cleared that hurdle pretty well, and then they hit a bit of a snag in trucks. They were good, but this was not production to get excited about. We weren't talking about them as major prospects at that time. So far in their Xfinity Series tenures, uh, Briscoe was a 24-year-old who took a beating last year to Chris Bell, Cole Custer, and Tyler Reddick, all drivers who were younger. Uh, so success this year. He went on the record. I wrote about this for The Athletic. He says he needs eight wins or more, to land a job next year in the NASCAR Cup Series. Now, that is an exaggeration, but he's absolutely right. He is very smart for not assuming decision-makers can cut through perception and get to the nitty-gritty of the analytics. Things like pass efficiency and restart retention rate, that takes some steps to get to, Briscoe's assuming that they don't take those steps. He's trying to make it easy on them. Success in an exaggerated fashion, in his case, is pivotal. He was an above-average passer, but a below-average restarter last year, and that's something he can certainly correct. He needs to do that. If he's a cup rookie next year, he'll be 26. That was the same age as Jimmy Johnson and Brad Keselowski when they were rookies. But those are formative cup seasons right now off the table for Briscoe if he's getting a late start as a cup rookie. If he stumbles out of the gate, there's less time to steer him in the right direction. We sat and watched Daniel Hemrick, a driver who was well thought of coming out of Xfinity and Trucks, but he was a 28-year-old rookie last year. If he were 22, one could argue he might still be employed at RCR because he would have been given a longer leash. In theory, Chase Briscoe is more cup-ready right now, and you can make that case about Austin Sendrick as well. You are right about that, Alan. And you know, Briscoe's peripheral numbers are pretty damn great, but he was outclassed last year by those three young drivers. Chandler Smith has never been outclassed. Factor in the age, he could be a star, but there are two other drivers whose trajectories I, right now, find more assuring.
0: Interesting. And uh, creates a good debate, None, of course. Uh, so we're not going to do all 50. That would be a really long podcast. But I encourage you to uh, subscribe to The Athletic if you do not. And you can read about all 50 because David's hard work uh, is really awesome and it's very intriguing. But we're going to go down the list a little bit, David, because uh, we'll go down to number seven. Again, what we just talked about was the top four. At number seven, you have Todd Gilliland. And number nine, you have Harrison Burton. Not far from each other on the top uh, Cup Series prospect list, and that just interested me because it never seems like Todd Gilliland and Harrison Burton are very far from each other in, in just about anything, right? I mean, we remember the highlights not long ago—you uh, know, them battling in the K and N cars, and then they were both at Kyle Busch Motorsports last year. It, as as they rise up through the ranks, it seems—are they ever forever going to be attached at the hip? Will we always associate those two? Because that—that that seems like what I just did there.
1: You know, I, I, I don't know. Um, that is, that is a, an interesting perception though. What I do know though, Alan, is I've seen both of these drivers at their absolute bests and, and that probably was, uh, in the East series. And that is not what we saw from them last year. I think part of the reason that we're going to believe that they're forever attached at the hip is we saw them both struggle for the same team. At the same time. Kyle Busch Motorsports. KBM had four trucks enter races last year. Most of the time it was three, but their four trucks ranked first in central speed by a large margin. And that was the truck shared by Kyle Busch and Chandler Smith and Greg Biffle and Rudy Fugel, the championship maker, was the crew chief. The other KBM trucks. Ranked 10th, 11th, and 12th in central speed. And uh, there, there have been a lot of times in the last few months why I, that I felt like I was the only one noticing this. How, how come that hasn't been questioned more often? This is a separation between teams within an organization. We've seen separation like this before. Look in the Cup Series. The only guy who was truly fast last year for Stuart Haas was Kevin Harvick. And I'm wondering if the reason for that was because Stuart Haas engineered cars to best suit Kevin Harvick. Same goes here, right? What if the trucks don't suit every driver that walks in the door? And what if Eric Jones, William Byron, and Christopher Bell, all former number one prospects on this very list, by the way, were exceptional and far better at the time of their first KBM start, then both Gilliland and Burton. I think that's entirely possible. I'd love to get to the bottom of what happened. That, that might be a story idea for me for down the road. What was wrong with uh, with with KBM? What that what that dynamic was there? But I do not think it should affect our broad knowledge of both of these guys because their resume is so much bigger than just one year at KBM and the truck series.
0: Yeah. Let's dig into that because I think perception wise and for someone who's not a scout, David, who doesn't do the research or doesn't see it, you know, look, there's a, there's a big portion of us, right. Who, who would look at a season season and a half, really. I mean, Todd Gilliland was in a KBM truck and see some of his struggles. He eventually did get a win and wonder uh if the talent isn't is the isn't as much there as we thought it once was, yet he is still pretty high on your list. Number seven is nothing to sneeze at. Why are you still high on Todd Gilliland?
1: Gilliland has 50 career starts in trucks and has worked with seven different crew chiefs. That is, that is a staggering number of, that just uh, young young drivers need continuity. I mean, they need good continuity, but they need continuity around them right. to ensure that they grow. Despite this, Todd Gilliland managed a season's worth of production far better than his age's average, which we saw last year. During that season, he had the 11th fastest truck. He finished 11th or better. 14 times in 22 starts. If you dispatch with the idea that he didn't make the playoffs for KBM and that was a huge disappointment, if you just get that out of your head, then what is left are reasonably good numbers for a young race car driver who excelled outwardly at every level but this one. I'm curious to see what can happen now. Uh, with his move to Ford and some continuity on the pit box, I'm hoping he keeps the same crew chief for the full year. And maybe we can see some growth out of a driver who didn't just clear hurdles in other divisions. He cleared them by a long shot.
0: Yeah, it's been, uh, only two races in the truck series so far. A little bit of a struggle. They were struggling a lot at Las Vegas, uh, during practice. And then it seemingly, I, I think almost literally changed everything. Four shocks, four springs. They changed everything. And by the race, they were, uh, they were pretty good. And I like what I was seeing out of Todd in that, that Las Vegas race because a lot of aggression. One of those, uh, not making friends sort of moves, uh, races that he was on in Las Vegas. So I hope we see more of that. Uh, the other end of this, David Harrison Burton at nine. Again, Harrison Burton comes out at the beginning of this year. He moved up to Xfinity. Todd Gilliland didn't. There was some chatter that they wanted to get him in an Xfinity car. I'm talking about Todd Gilliland. That didn't happen. For Harrison Burton, it did. And he moved into maybe the best or one of the best Xfinity cars out there, the number 20 JGR Toyota. And what does he do? He goes out and gets a win. Had three top fives, I believe. I mean, he's never been out of the top five, I don't think, so far this season. The point leader, uh Yet you still have him at nine. Was the beginning of this season in Xfinity enough to change any perception, or are you factoring that in? How does that work? Because that that might surprise some people, given the start Harrison Burton has had in an Xfinity car.
1: Yeah, it could be. It, It could change perceptions. But you have to consider his broader history. We saw volatile production results, whatever you want to call it, from Bubba Wallace during his rise through Arca East and Trucks, and Harrison Burton is sort of emulating that. It's kind of the same career flow. Harrison Burton ranked last in Arca East Pier in 2016. He was a 15-year-old, and, and the next year he ranked first and won the championship. He never won a truck race, although he did score a production rating above average for his age. He was an above-average passer and restarter in the same season. He ranked second to last in... An Xfinity series, Pierre. So it's understandable that anyone would be confused by what Burton is as a prospect. I wrote about the Joe Gibbs Racing drivers uh, two weeks ago for the Athletic, and I saw reactions on both ends of the spectrum. Uh, people thinking that uh, I shorted Young Harrison Burton, and there were others that felt that he was overrated and that his father bought him a ride. Mm -hmm. So there's already a pretty polarizing opinion of Harrison Burton, but he's confusing because right now that's what his trajectory has been. So far this year, he has that win. Brandon Jones has a win. Both are in JGR equipment, and those cars are the fastest in the series per central speed. Wins are kind of the expectation, but we need to be careful with that. That's the same thing that we said about him last year when he was in a KBM truck. But this year, again, based on the equipment that he's in, he has to score good results to sway the perception back in his favor and and perhaps more importantly, nail those peripheral numbers just to leave no doubt about his ability. But until questions of his true ability are answered, those questions are still the thing keeping him from being considered one of the marquee names on this list.
0: And still close uh, with Todd Gilliland. I think they'll forever be tied as they, uh, you know, and they're both sons of cup drivers and all that stuff. So a lot, of, a lot of comparisons I think they'll always hold with each other as they both climb the ladder. But uh, Todd Gilliland at seven, Harrison Burton at nine. We'll look at one more here on the cast. Again, uh, go on the athletic and see the, the full list of top, uh, 50 cup series prospects for 2020. But the one more we're going to look at, David, it is Haley Deegan. And for you, Haley Deegan comes in at number 35 out of the top 50 cup series prospects. For this year, Haley Deegan at number 35. We know she is a star off the track in terms of uh, promotion, in terms of sponsorship, in terms of people knowing who she is, in terms of marketability, things like that. David, we know what she can bring to the sport in terms of attention, in terms of having a successful female racer on a regular basis climb through the stock car rankings that we haven't seen maybe ever. Uh, but in terms of on-track performance, you have her at 35. What should we be looking at when, you know, both good and bad when it comes to Haley Deegan?
1: If we are picking apart Harrison Burton, and and Burton is a former ARCA East champion, then Haley Deegan can't get a pass here. She isn't an elite prospect. She's a top prospect, not an elite prospect, at least not yet. If there were no questions about her ability, and she was as good as we think Chandler Smith is, Toyota would not have let her walk out the door plain and simple. But this is not a a Danica Patrick 2.0 scenario, at least as far as I can tell. There is something to work with here. It's just going to require some focus. Haley Deegan is a three-time race winner in the ARCA West, and she ranked second in pier in that division last year. That is good. But when she climbed to a more competitive level, uh, whether it be ARCA or ARCA East, she ranked second to last in pier in both of those divisions last year, both times earning negative production ratings. What makes her intriguing as a driver is her ability to win races, albeit in good equipment, but doing that at such a young age that's that's the thing that hits on the radar. That's what gets her in this wider prospect conversation. That's what makes this year's step to uh, ARCA's national series. And I applaud the idea of not rushing her into the truck series. This year in ARCA can be a calm, focused season where the only thing that matters are repetitions and honing her craft. I think a low-key season with the spotlight not so bright, and I know the, the cameras follow her around, but something like that can be beneficial to her development.
0: The big news in the offseason, as you said, was her moving from Toyota to Ford, uh, Ford putting her in, in their development program. Uh, we, we, Chase Briscoe went through this, right. And, and the first thing we saw Haley digging in, in terms of a Ford was, uh, on the 24 hour course at Daytona earlier this season in a sports car, she's going to get a lot of reps and a lot of different things. Chase Briscoe kind of went through the same path and they've, Ford has had him in a few different vehicles and stuff like that. So in terms of the move to Ford, does that help or hurt her? Because we know Toyota and their development system and what, what it's produced and who it's produced. And now it's over to Ford. So moving to Ford, does that help or hurt her?
1: Oh, I believe it will help. Uh, now, if you consider what Ford has been doing over the last few years, they have stocked the cupboards. I mean, Toyota had a, a landslide lead on both Chevrolet and Ford in the driver development category, but Ford is trying to close the gap. And for the last few years, it was Chase Briscoe. It was Austin Sendrick. Uh, this offseason, they welcomed Todd Gilliland, Tanner Gray, Taylor Gray, who's really interesting, and Haley Deegan into the camp. And as I said, I appreciate this deliberate approach with her. I like that they steer drivers towards sports cars as a training ground because it worked out for Briscoe. He was a dirt guy. Now he is a road course winner in the Xfinity series. That is fairly remarkable. And if Ford is willing to work with Deegan and mold her into something more versatile than she already is then they're actually living up to the definition of the term driver development program. With her, what's needed is the enhancing of skill, yes, but also awareness. And I know everyone raves about the Toyota simulator and how well it prepares its drivers for new tracks, but Deegan doesn't need a simulator. She needs the real thing. And that's the case for most drivers her age, uh and, and that are that are on this part of the list. She needs to live through some tangible experience. Ford gave her the, the best pathway to that and I I can only see this working out for the better.
0: Good stuff. And, uh, you know, it's it's nice to be around for a second year to have our second annual prospects list episode. That's as far as we'll go here right now, but if you have any questions, you know, shoot them to us because, uh, lists like this, of course, and, um, the rankings, they always generate a lot of conversation and that's something we love doing with listeners. So please send us your questions, your thoughts on some of these, uh, young up and coming drivers, because we will hear from them in the future because, uh, David, maybe you won't brag on it, but I will. Uh, I know in the industry, uh, uh, this list and your research is highly sought after and uh, looked upon as you know something that people, team owners, team decision makers look at when uh, when evaluating these up and coming drivers. And so I applaud you for that and uh, on another good year of a prospects list.
1: Well, thank you kindly, and we'll uh, we'll hope it resonates with our uh, the readers and listeners. And uh, it's it's always a, a joy to make every year. Uh, I say every year that this list is better than the last one, and I certainly feel that way about uh this year's list it's only 50 it's pared down there's a lot of talent one through 50 i don't think uh the ranking slighted anyone if they're on the list uh they're they're there for a reason
0: a lot of these drivers on the list will be uh running this weekend in atlanta in the truck series and in the xfinity series so that means it is time for our atlanta preview david
1: this week's race preview is sponsored by MonkeyKnifeFight.com. Monkey Knife fight is the fastest-growing daily fantasy website right now. I know we have uh, listeners of Positive Regression who play daily fantasy NASCAR. I enjoy the emails from those uh, when they say that they won. I haven't had any emails from those saying that they didn't. Uh, I'm probably going to get them one of these days, especially now. Uh, well, have you considered playing with MonkeyKnifeFight.com? They have different games uh, for both the Cup Series and Xfinity Series. They did last weekend at Phoenix. You can give it a shot this weekend for the Atlanta races. Make the picks that you want to make. All you have to do to win is beat the house. You can sign up right now for a new account. And if you use the promo code POSREGPOD, that is P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D, you will receive a 100% match bonus up to $50. That is $100 of money that you can bet. You can uh just use the promo code Pod" at monkeyknifefight.com. State and age restrictions apply. Seasite for full terms and restrictions. Alan, let's talk about Atlanta. I've been dying all day to talk about Atlanta with oh, you. Oh,
0: good stuff. Can't wait to get down there. Uh, I know people want to win their fantasy games and drivers want to win out there on the track on Sunday. So, David, I mean, let's talk about it. How... Will Atlanta be one? What do we know about Atlanta? We know it's an old surface. We know it's like sandpaper on tires. We know it's high speed. We know it, I think, rewards drivers that can stand on the gas a little more than other drivers. So how will Atlanta be one? I think tire wear will come into that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know what? I I looked at this last year. Um, Atlanta's best passers last year, I noticed two drivers with adjusted pass efficiencies over 60% For the race, and that is a lofty rate uh, for a frame of reference. They were Martin Truex and Kyle Busch, neither of whom won the race. The five fastest cars in the race belonged to Martin Truex, Kevin Harvick, Joey Logano, Kyle Larson, and Kurt Busch. The race winner was not among that group either. Brad Keselowski won this race, Alan. He had a 55% adjusted pass efficiency and the sixth fastest car, which, uh, in all fairness, are ingredients in the recipe for a good day. But what put him over were the 16 laps following the final restart on lap 283. Because in those 16 laps, Keselowski was on new tires, He was fast on new tires and in cleaner air. He was two tenths of a second faster per lap than Martin Truex. That was, that was the guy hunting him down. After those 16 laps, Truex's car was the fastest. He was better when the tires wore just a little bit by a tenth of a second on average in the final 27 laps, but That didn't factor in, because it was Keselowski's 16 laps with hot lap times, a a little under 25 miles, and a 500-mile race offered enough of a cushion to a driver whose car was pretty close to perfect on new tires. He got to the clean air first, and that was a wrap. Now, we've discussed teams choosing to set up for short run versus long run. And it seems anecdotally, whenever we talked about it last year, the long run cars tend to win out. They did at Homestead. That's the biggest example that's coming to mind right now. That's what we remember. Kevin Harvick's team brought a short run car to Homestead and it did not work out. Well, that's not always the case. There is a reason why teams choose to go against the grain. At Atlanta, that would be a short run car that thrives on new tires. And the reason for that is just we don't know how these races are going to break and end. Caution trends are fun to talk about, but they aren't foolproof. And if we use Atlanta as an example, the last three races we saw there, the final caution set up restarts with 11 to go in 2017, 21 to go in 2018, and 43 to go last year. Well, in Atlanta... That that difference ranges forty nine miles. That's a lot of wiggle room. That's that's a lot of room for error. No one knows for sure how these races are going to break. But all a crew chief and driver can do is plan for what they think they do best. Plan towards their strength and kind of hope the race breaks like that. And Keselowski, he was last year's top restarter from the non preferred groove. He won this race after restarting from Atlanta's non-preferred groove, and he only needed 16 perfect laps to shut the door on everyone else and get this win. Good
0: stuff there. Remember, they have 13 sets of tires this weekend out in Atlanta for the race. Uh, New new setup, uh, new tire setup coming for this race, Goodyear hadn't brought before. And, David, when we have tire wear, I think that means potential for short pitting and green flag pit cycles, right? So maybe keep an eye out for that.
1: Yeah. And that will, that will be the, uh, the go-to for long runs as well. It'll be the short pit, the long pit. Again, if you're doing that at a track with significant lap time, fall off on old tires, all you're doing is betting for the caution. And again, caution trends are fluid. That is a moving target, my friend. Good luck with that. But you might want to get on those tires sooner than everyone else just to cut into a Delta if you're behind. Or, uh, I don't know, leapfrog yourself within the top five and see if you can take a shot at the win.
0: You talked about Brad's restart prowess from the non-preferred groove. Let's talk more about restarts. What should we expect? Where uh, Where should the leaders be looking? And where is the more advantageous line if we we're looking on Sunday?
1: This was a track where the groove preference may have been impacted by the low horsepower, high downforce. The, the preference switched from the inside in 2018 to the outside in 2019. to 43% was the retention difference last year uh, for the outside. That's for the Cup Series race. Now, for the Xfinity Series, the opposite occurred. It shifted from outside to inside the last two years. The inside held its position 76% of the time last year. These are different cars with different rules and characteristics, so the groove preference isn't always transferable. It is difficult, uh, certainly a moving target, trying to identify which groove is best, especially in the era of constant rule changes. So, that is something to keep in mind here. I mentioned Keslowski earlier. Alan, he was not passed on a single restart in last year's race. We talked about the strength of Penske drivers on restarts in last week's episode. Joey Logano had himself a great restart towards the end of the Phoenix race to help clinch the win there. So it'll be worth watching to see if that advantage continues to matter.
0: I got to give us a pat on the back, David, because every week this year, the season, we have been picking contrarian contenders. You know, maybe drivers you're not looking at in terms of uh, the favorite to win, but maybe someone who would come up and surprise. And I've been bragging on you every week. The first week you picked Ryan Newman for Daytona. Uh, We know what almost happened there. Uh, the second week you picked Matt Benedetto, he got second place. Then you picked Tyler Reddick, I believe, and he finished eleventh. Not bad for a, for a rookie at, the, at a track like that. And then last week you picked Kyle Larson, and he went out and got a third. So if you're listening, fantasy players maybe you want to pay attention to this. You know, if you're playing a fantasy game and you got a short budget, maybe you want to listen to this segment coming up because last week I also picked the sixth-place finisher in Kurt Bush. So I want to pat myself on the back just a little bit, but, David, you're doing far better than I am. So congratulations once again.
1: <laughs> well, hey, I think we both did pretty well. I mean, that the the Ganassi uh, show is uh, quite interesting. The speed rankings are out this week on The Athletic. They're not faring very well in speed, but they certainly looked the part at Phoenix, at least, just in terms of the results sheet. So, yay, we sure. got that right. There I, you I go. don't know. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Maybe they got some things to worry about. But yeah, yes. Potential value picks is what I like to call these
0: contrarian contender picks. I'll let you kick it off. Who is your contrarian contender for Atlanta?
1: I am going to choose someone I've already picked this year, Ooh, and good. that is Matt De Benedetto. Wow. He finished second at Las Vegas when I picked him. And in that race, his passing was solidly methodical and efficient. It was a plus 5.14% single race surplus passing value, which is to say he got 19 passes for position beyond the expectation of his car. That's a heck of a day. Uh, last year at Atlanta, frankly, he stunk his SPV. <laughs> was a, a minus 4.14%. So the opposite direction, he uh didn't score as many positions as his car was thought capable. But he was bad for that first portion of last season. There wasn't a track outside of Daytona, maybe, where he wasn't bad during the stretch. But, Alan, do you know who was decent at Atlanta in 2019? Paul Menard. Paul freaking Menard. Yes. Finished... <laughs> 14th in a car ranked 21st in speed for the race. And as we noted, the Penske guys seem to register at Atlanta. And I'm just thinking Matt DiBenedetto is probably closer to being one of the Penske guys than Paul Menard was. This is going to be a little bit of a questionable choice, right? Just because of the recent Atlanta history for DiBenedetto. But I'm going to ride with him just because I liked what... I saw from him for the full race in Las Vegas, just in terms of his ability to pass, not just that last restart. Um, that was a bona fide effort. The restart helped in him getting second, but he showed a little better than what people probably think.
0: Not bad. I am going with a different Ford driver. I'm going to roll the dice and go with Clint Boyer. Clint Boyer has been running well so far this year. I like that. I like momentum a little bit. Had a good top five out in Phoenix. But, David, I went back and did. I tried to do a little research, tried to pull a David Smith and do some research. And last year, at the steep mile-and-a-half racetracks, we're talking tracks like Atlanta, Texas, and Charlotte, Clint Boyer was one of the best passers. You talked about surplus passing value. And, and Clint Boyer was a top five guy amongst uh, the strong contenders. Clint Boyer was really good. or had some of his best passing numbers at tracks like Atlanta, like the one we're going to this weekend. And we looked at the results last year. Boyer finished fifth at Atlanta and second at a track like Texas. So he had a history of running well. So I think when you combine how he's doing, maybe the crew chief change a little bit, at least early in the season. I think he had one bad run, but the rest not so bad. Um, I think Clint Boyer can uh, show us something this weekend in Atlanta. So he is my contrarian contender pick for the weekend. Can I play devil's advocate
1: on that pick? Of course. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, as I mentioned, the speed rankings are out on The Athletic. Clint Boyer oh. ranks 17th oh. <laughs> in central speed. And the uh, his old crew chief, Mike Bogaravitz, now paired with Eric Almarola, ranks 10th. Are you sure you're picking the right Stuart Haas driver? Is your contrarian pick?
0: Well, no, but yes, though. (laughs) I don't know. I like I like passing. You know, maybe.
1: Yeah, go for it. it. I'm going to go with
0: it. I'm going to go with history. I know it's recent history and it's not a ton of data points, but I like what he's been doing. A little, maybe a little mojo for Clint Boyer. I know you don't measure mojo, David, in your research, but I'm just going with it this weekend. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know how to quantify Mojo. I feel like he probably has it. I don't know. He he just, he seems uh so affable. He's just, you know, he, he's happy most of the time. And even when he's pissed, uh, he gives a, a very entertaining interview. So it, it works. he will be all right.
0: You brought up Eric Almarola and something we do every week is what do we want to learn? What do we want to learn this weekend? David, I mean, that Eric Almarola, Clint Boyer, it all factored into what do I want to learn this weekend? I want to see if Stuart Haas Racing can keep it going. You know, they had all four in the top 10 last week. Uh, Harvick is great at Atlanta. I told you about Boyer, what I think about him. You mentioned Almarola, two top 10s in a row. Cole Custer was pretty good last week. And Are we seeing a trickle down of speed from not only the four, but to the rest of uh, Stuart Haas Racing? Uh, maybe not so far as you just mentioned with Boyer, but. May is something working with the crew chief swap. Uh it seems to be at least okay, trending toward positive at least in my eyes early on in this season. Uh if they've had success at Atlanta in the past, you would expect them to have it again, especially if they are progressing toward a positive year, so I want to see if that's happening. Can SHR keep the the positive momentum train rolling this weekend uh in Atlanta? That's what I want to learn.
1: Okay, so you focused on people doing positive things. I went the opposite way. Uh-oh. Uh, if road profile, uh, which we'll talk about Atlanta's unique, uh, Mike Joy called it a vintage surface. If road profile is the great equalizer, I'd like to see some of the talented drivers in cars that have not had elite speed through this early stretch. And I'm talking about guys like Kyle Busch, Kyle Larson, Eric Jones. I'd like to see whether they can do some heavy lifting at Atlanta because cars matter at Atlanta, uh, but those guys don't have the types of strong cars we've seen from them in the past in the previous three races just based on central speed. It is still very early, but the excuse of the West Coast trip is over. There is time now to adjust on things that didn't previously work well. If those three struggle at a place like this that kind of suits what they do, that might be telling of a broader problem. And especially when we're talking about those two JGR guys, um, look, I mean, that's a, a pretty big drop from where they were at the end of last year. Uh, there might be something to that.
0: All right, so we'll keep an eye out for the positive SHR and uh, maybe not not so good for JGR. We'll keep an eye on it. That's what we want to learn in Atlanta. David, in this episode, it's been a good episode. We covered the past with Jimmy Means, the present with this weekend in Atlanta, and the future with the prospects. So I think that is a well-rounded episode for episode 52 of Positive Regression. Don't forget, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and Luminary. We are available no matter your device. If you like what you are hearing, please leave us a rating or a review. That stuff really does help in spreading the word about this podcast. Everything, all the potential you can learn and share with your friends and impress them. Get them listening, too. And if you have any questions, let us know because we'd love to answer them. We'd love the discussion. Hit us up on Twitter at posregpod, P-O-S r-e-g-p-o-d david putting together a list of prospects cannot be easy you're always working hard so let us know what else you're working on
1: yeah if, if you want more prospect coverage check out the entire uh, list on the athletic i've also done scouting reports from uh, new Smyrna speed weeks earlier in the year and the uh, the trio of joe gibbs racing xfinity drivers be sure to check those out Chris Mitchell will have some cool looks at prospects over on motorsportsanalytics.com. And uh, if you want more from me, uh, you know, stay tuned to The Athletic. Uh, my speed rankings column back for 2020. This week, I highlighted Chase Elliott's top ranked speed. Uh, there is some historic significance to that if it holds steady for the entire season. So check that out, too.
0: Alright, good stuff. And if you are listening on Thursday morning, that means you are a subscriber, so thank you for that. And you should also watch Race Hub on Thursday, because the A-list will be joined by the crew chief who has two wins already, Paul Wolf. Paul Wolf joins the A-list on Race Hub. That will be an excellent interview, I assure you. And then just watch the Fox family all weekend, because all three series at Atlanta will have truck practice on Friday, a bunch of stuff on track on Friday, and then a doubleheader on Saturday, truck race first and the Xfinity cars, and then of course on Sunday the cup cars hit the track, so just watch the Fox Family Networks all weekend. I'm happy to be on pit road for the trucks it'll be fun to be back there and we don't we got the bounty this weekend. Remember Chase Elliott, a few others chasing the Kyle Busch bounty, so it should be exciting to get back to some truck racing. Thank you so much for listening to episode 52 of Positive Regression. For David Smith, I'm Alan Kavana. Stay positive, everybody. Have a great week.